that our motivation being together today. And as we look at the world, this past year was quite difficult for the human family, quite difficult for our Mother Earthship, sometimes with what our world focuses on is hard to have any type of hope or hard to have any type of joy. But sometimes it's helpful to put our situation in its true perspective. Is that all living beings in our world, that all other worlds are under the control of afflictions and karma. And even though our basic motivation from the time we get up to the time we go to bed is to be happy and not to suffer, when our minds are under the control of afflictions and karma, we get very, very confused about how to be happy and how to avoid suffering. Our greed gets the best of us, our suspicion, our fear, our hatred gets the best of us. To the point that sometimes we're willing to take somebody's life in order to avoid some sort of fundamental suffering or to find some sort of happiness. But what the Buddha taught is that this is a temporary state for living beings, that there is a way to subdue these afflicted states of mind, this confusion. And that every living being's heart, the fundamental basic nature of them is that they're clear and knowing and that goodness is the basic fundamental component. And so part of being together today is to share the Buddhist teachings and to really utilize them as best as we can in our own minds because the only mind that we can change, the only mind that we can transform is our own. But to not underestimate that, because to change and transform our minds and hearts into the minds and hearts of compassionate, wise, caring, fearless people has a profound impact on how this world's going to be. And so let's really look at this as a time to grow our good qualities, to be willing to look honestly at the ones, the qualities that don't serve us or anybody and to know that applying the teachings of the Buddha, we can change these minds of fear, anger, and attachment to the minds of kindness, wisdom, and compassion. And we do that not because we really want to have our own solace, we want to have our own peace of mind, but by extension, the world will be profoundly affected by our efforts because we're, we're a huge dependent arising. We're interconnected more than we have ever been. And so what we do here in this hall today affects what happens in the world. So let's really touch base with our own goodness, our own compassion, and the fact that we can transform our minds for the benefit of all. It's a little difficult sometimes to look at the state of the world. Today we're going to look at one of the ways that we can look at it. Um, one of the beauties about the Buddha's teachings is that he really liked to use analogies to kind of get his point across. He would use 
He used farming, he used gardening, he used um, armies and kings and soldiers, he used potters and their wheels and the pots that they would throw to try to get his point across on how to really practice um, loving kindness and compassion and how to really work with our minds. And so um, the verse that we're on facing our faults is under a bigger heading called Joyfully Staying on the Path, which is in this beautiful book we've been doing for about three years here called Don't Believe Everything You Think, written by Venerable Children, which is a commentary on a beautiful poem that was written in the 14th century by a very profound Tibetan yogi named Tony Me Sampo. And, um, and so I wanted to use uh, an analogy today that is quite common in our culture. Um, and analogies work if we don't take them too literally and we don't take them too linearly. So I've, I've come up with an analogy for this verse today. But you've got to make sure you don't start looking at it like, um, like it's got to be exactly. But it's, it's, it's a fun analogy, and I find it useful for my mind. So we have this love affair in our country with cars. We love our trucks. We love our SUVs. And I wanted to find a way to use our love affair with this object in a way that we could see that the Dharma has very, something very, very important to teach us using this analogy. And so we'll use this book, Don't Believe Everything You Think, um, basically as a roadmap onto how to live our lives with wisdom and compassion and fortitude right here and now. Okay, so this is going to be our roadmap today, our travel guide. If we want to transform our minds and hearts into minds and hearts of wisdom and compassion, this is a wonderful guide. It's kind of like a triptych. I don't know if anybody's done any traveling, but there are triptychs that you can do on how, um, how to think and reflect on the Buddhist teachings using this travel guide by Tong Le Sampo. Everything we need to know to reach our final destination. And if you are a Buddhist, your final destination is liberation or awakening. So this poem is called 37 Practices of Bodhisattvas. And it's not a road map put out by AAA. It's a road map put out by the Triple Gem. <laughs> the Buddha, Dharma, and Sang, Sangha with Tongmei Sangpo as the expert adventurer who was a member of the Sangha who was well on his way to awakening using the Buddhist teachings as his roadmap. All right, so this is the triple gem travel guide. The poem is like a roadmap for our minds. And in it, it has some very clear road signs, signs indicating what to do and where to go, complete with scenic overlooks, rest stops, steep inclines where there's road construction, where there's avalanches, where there's falling rocks, where to avoid them and what to look for. All the things that we need to get to our final destination of liberation are found in the teachings in this book. And it also um, has everything we need to travel through our lives and really to enjoy the journey of actualizing our full human potential. Because our full human potential is very, very vast and very, very profound with this fundamental goodness as the basis of our existence, and to become fully awakened, to become Buddhist, which is our final destination. And we need a roadmap. So I was trying to think, okay, how can I use this analogy with this book? 
We need a roadmap because it can be very, very confusing living in our world. I think we get an awful lot of mixed messages. And that we get a lot of mixed messages on actually how to navigate it, how to travel through this world of ours here. On one hand, we are asked to obey the rules, to obey the laws, to be honest, kind, thoughtful, work hard, get along with our neighbors, give a helping hand. Okay, so on one hand, we're getting a map that says that. And we get that from our families, we get that from our churches, we get that in school, we get that in our social circles. So that's one particular message. And at the same time, there's this other message that we get that says every man and woman for themselves. Be competitive, nice people finish last, do as I say, not as I do, do what you want, just don't get caught. Bottom line is how much does it cost and how much am I going to make? Right, so we've got these two messages. And we're supposed to be able to figure out what to cultivate and what to avoid. How we're supposed to take this human journey. Well, we've got these mixed messages coming to us all the time. The world has a confusing set of messages which are much different and not anywhere near as clear as the triple gem travel map. Many times it seems that our world reinforces these concepts and qualities that don't seem to jive with our deep yearning to cultivate compassion, the heart of wisdom, tolerance, generosity, to contribute to the well-being of ourselves and others. It's like, we're, it's like there's this contradiction going on. And in fact, the messages um, sometimes have the exact opposite on us by binding us in a lot of fear, a lot of worry, competitiveness, greed, intolerance, and anger. So we get all confused, and because the, the uh, the messengers are also human, it appears that they're just as confused as well. And as a result, the roads get pretty dangerous and pretty unsafe, and the signs are all mixed up. So we're a human family on this journey, and we need a road map, because if we want to become awakened, we need to have some sort of directions. We need to have some sort of mile markers, some sort of points of interest. So this road map called the 37 Practices of Bodhisattvas shows us how to travel this life in a beneficial and wise way. And it has a lot of beautiful mile markers in it, some of them that we've already covered along the way. There are mile markers, you know those little things along the road that say how far you've gone when you're traveling. In Pottery County, the green, they've got numbers on them. Calming the mind is a mile marker. Simplifying our lives. Aspiring to freedom. Why worldly pleasures don't cut it. Another mile marker ending the pity party. A mile marker that says, who am I anyway? A mile marker that says, opening our hearts, zipping our lips, joyous effort. Mile markers that say for the next while, this is what we're going to practice, what we're going to pay attention while we're driving this vehicle. And what's that vehicle? This body and mind, this human body and mind. And we're taking this trip. Now it's a long journey, and the map is very extensive. There are lots of clear directions, and it takes some time to study, ponder, and check to see if you can trust that the map is pointing you in the right direction. Because you're the only driver of your vehicle. There's nobody else 
that can drive your vehicle on this journey. And only you can figure out what road to take. Okay, you following the analogy so far, folks? Okay. Now what's great about this road map of the Dharma is that it's been used by the Buddha and countless other beings that have followed the directions, have gotten to their destination, which is awakening. So it's a well-traveled road and written a lot about. In 2,600 years, this map, this guide has been written in many different forms. And the authors have written about the challenges of the journey, the joys, the insights, the clarity, the kindness, and the truth of the journey. So we have many who have traveled this road that are indeed very, very reliable guides from the Buddha all the way up to the present teachers that we have in our life. Now what makes this journey unusual is that as Dharma friends we can travel together but we all have to take our own vehicles, our own body and mind, and only we can drive this vehicle. This is probably the only exception where carpooling isn't going to work. All right? We're going to have our own vehicle. We're going to have our own body and mind that we're going to have to take care of and that we're going to have to navigate. So what we're going to do is on verse 31, we're going to get some very specific directions in this verse with the point of interest called facing our faults, which means rough road ahead, maybe some construction's coming up. So we better beware. So the Venerable Sampton said, the verse reads as so. If you don't examine your own errors, you may look like a practitioner, but not act as one. Therefore, always examining your errors, rid yourself of them. This is the practice of Bodhisattva. Okay, so this is one of the verses under the mile marker called Joyfully Staying on the Path, in which we try to practice skillful means to stay on track with our practice. Because by staying on track with our practice, we'll be able to benefit people in a very, very skillful, wise, compassionate way. Because if we don't keep our eye on the road, we're going to fade into laziness or complacency, which says life in samsara is good. There's no reason to go anywhere. There's no reason to go and take a trip. Or we're going to fade into hypocrisy, which says, wow, I am a Buddhist practitioner. I'm doing pretty well. I can put this vehicle on cruise control. And just forget about anything that's important. Because we think we've got just a little bit of knowledge that we think we're practicing great, and we don't have to pay attention, keep our eyes on the road anymore. So in the Dharma, keeping our eyes on the road is taking and keeping our precepts, practicing what we have learned, and working very hard to get a handle on our destructive actions, our harmful speech, our harmful actions, our negative mental habits. That's what keeping our eyes on the road is. That's what keeping this vehicle of body and mind well-maintained and in good repair. We learn to have some sort of regret for the things that we've done in the past. Some of those wild trips down, who knows which kind of back road, which kind of detour we took. Purifying those harmful actions of the past and replacing them with virtuous and wholesome states of mind. That's keeping our eyes on the road. To make this journey real, it's not enough to just talk about what we know that we've taken precepts, that we've gone on retreats, that we've traveled to Tibet and we've traveled to India, 
or ordained is in a grave, we've taken initiations. It's not about talking about the Dharma. It needs being the Dharma. Being a Dharma practitioner, a Dharma traveler, not pretending to look like one, which is what he says, you know, looking like a practitioner but not acting like one. Tracking so far? So we need to work on our minds. We need to integrate what we hear about the Dharma and set an example by the way we keep our eye on our own mind, our own behavior. So it's not just about keeping our eyes on the road where we're going. And there's a second part of the trip, and it's taking care of the vehicle. This vehicle, before we start giving advice to anybody else on how they should be taking care of their vehicle, we've got to be really good and adept at being able to take care of this vehicle. And that is not easy. First of all, is when we meet the Dharma, at least this is where my mind went, is that I was so enthusiastic about being able to develop compassion and bodhicitta and to be able to benefit all sentient beings that many times I turned out to be a backseat driver. You know, I got very evangelical about the little bit that I knew and I was already starting to tell people how to go and how to be and how to act and how to speak because I had met the Dharma. And I was so busy being a backseat driver for other people that I wasn't watching my own driving where I was heading. We need to pay attention to our own roadblocks, our own dead ends that take us nowhere. Which if you were to translate into a spiritual path, the dead ends and the detours are when our minds are under the control of self-centeredness, when they're under the control of suspicion, ignorance, greed, pride in our minds. And many times when our minds are under the control of pride and confusion and recklessness, we endanger the body this little part of the vehicle as well. These are the roadblocks that lead to really long, painful detours. And sometimes with this kind of mind of recklessness and pride and anger and attachment, we're going to run head-on collision into our own karma and experience the results of that kind of mind and that kind of reckless driving. So the Dharma roadmap is about continually watching the road in front of us, not looking at how somebody else is driving even if we want to make sure that they're doing okay, that they're not intoxicated, that tires are well inflated, that the cars met inspection, we always have to remember fundamentally, as Tom Sampa says, is that we first got to make sure that our minds and our bodies are under control, that we're subduing our own afflictions, that we're cultivating our own good qualities. And we do this by refraining from harming human beings and becoming the best practitioners that we can be. Because by being really good, honest, authentic practitioners, then we become really teachers for others. They watch us, they ask questions, and maybe they might be interested in finding out about the roadmap. They might want to take the same trip. But if we're only putting on a show and we're on cruise control and don't know really where we're going, they're going to figure that out. Sooner or later, they're going to take their vehicle and go elsewhere. And they might have then lost the opportunity to meet the Dharma. All right, so this, a lot of this, this verse is about really being true to ourselves, being humble, really being realistic about where we are. 
So if we want to benefit others in an authentic, wise, and compassionate way, we have this roadmap, we have our own vehicle, and we want to make sure that that vehicle is in good condition so we can make the journey ourselves. So we do that by getting our bodies and minds under control, by subduing our own craziness, our own pride, our own attachment, our own miserliness, And we do this by following the directions, following the road signs as best as we can, because it's going to be the clearest, the safest way to go. Because what happens, and this is sometimes the danger when you first meet the Buddha's teachings, because they go so directly into the heart, and in a very short time after you meet the Dharma, if you practice it at all, you can really see changes in your mind. You can start seeing some of the really big, nasty habits starting to turn. You see your heart becoming more open. You see just a lot more joy in your life. But sometimes there's a danger because after a short time on the road, you might think, I know a shortcut. I take off down some muddy steep hill right into a ravine, into a rushing river. Because you think you know it. And if we have anybody following us, and we're telling them, I've got a shortcut, come this way, forget about that long haul, those three countless gradients, let's go this way. They're going to follow us, and they're going to get into the same amount of trouble. So part of the verse is to be realistic about who we are, where we are on our journey. Not to give people the impression that we are more advanced or more together or more virtuous than we are. Like some kind of big adventurer who's been there, done there, got the t-shirt. And that if you were smart, you're going to follow me because I know all the shortcuts, all the secret side roads, when in fact we've hardly even looked at the map. And a lot of this, folks, is coming from my own experience, because when I first met the Dharma, I was in Zealot. <laughs> I was so enthralled with it. And it, did, it worked on my mind so quickly that I was, anybody who I had in my life just had to listen I mean, I was just bombarding them with all sorts of little pieces of Dharma that I had absolutely no full understanding. I mean, my, the vehicle, I had it all souped up. You know, I had some dual exhaust, I had big tires on, I had big engine. I just thought I could just take off and have all of my friends follow me. And I didn't know anything. You know? And that's a real danger sometimes because our minds are under the control of afflictions. And a little knowledge can be dangerous. We need to recognize that it's a wonderful path, this trip that we've discovered. And especially in the beginning of the path, because we are so excited, and even though we might be, like for me, I was on page two of the travel guide, and all of a sudden I'm an expert on the entire map and I don't know anything. So we need to recognize that it's a wonderful, this path that we've discovered, and try and recognize where we are on the map, how far along we are, not to put ourselves down because we're only at mile marker three on this, you know, few million mile journey, but to be happy that we have found it, that it has reliable guides, and to be really humble about where we are. But we're on the road. That's the part that's so incredible about meeting the Dharma. It's a profound journey. Clear directions, everything signed from the beginning to the end. And there have been beings that have traveled this for a very, very long time. And out of the kindness of their hearts, they've come back and they've said, this is the guide. This is how we do it. I can tell you where all the pitfalls are. I can tell you all the dangerous places. 
can tell you where the sharp curves in the road are. You're going to have to do it yourself. You're going to have to travel it yourself. But here are some of the places to look for. And to see that this little vehicle of ours, this little human body and mind, is the best thing we have for this journey in this life. Now they have said, the Buddha says, that precious human life is very precious. It's a wonderful vehicle. This is the place where you can really reach the final destination of Buddhahood. It's sturdy, it's intelligent, and at its core it has a great little engine, which is called the mind, which is clear and knowing, has incredible potential to become omniscient, the continuity of this human mind is one of the substantial causes for awakening. So we've got all the parts. We've got the right model this life. But it needs maintenance. It needs repair. It needs cleaning. We need to practice. We need to purify. We need to generate merit. Sometimes it won't even start. The brakes go out. I have a flat tire. The body hurts. The mind is under the control of all sorts of crazy thinking. We're depressed. We're sad. We can't get out of a dark corner we put ourselves in. So keeping this little vehicle running is a full-time job. So some of the last things that I have thinking about this, and this, this is really kind of interesting because it kind of tells what our potential is. But we have to remember to let's not think that we're commandeering a spaceship that can go the speed of light. Someday, if we follow this map, like Tongue Sampo has, and take the direction of the Buddha to heart, we are going to have, in some lifetime, a spaceship to travel the universe for helping living beings. Bodhisattvas do that. At some point, this roadmap provides us an opportunity to turn in the model and get a spaceship. Bodhicitta, realizing emptiness directly, being able to emanate countless bodies in all the universes in any form that sentient beings need us. But not right now. So we've got to remember, okay, we're not as spacious. We're in these little human bodies. We have these wonderful minds. It's great potential. The other thing that we have to be pretty also very, very clear about and very careful about is that we don't make fun of somebody else's mode of transportation as being inferior or not up to the task. All right, that's sometimes what happens with pride is that we think we know more than everybody else and suddenly the way that somebody's doing it just isn't good enough. They're never going to make it. They're not smart enough. They're not good at looking enough. They're not successful enough. Or telling them that they don't even know how to read the darn map. This is not helpful. And what would happen if we discourage other people for just you know doing the best they can and trying to be kind and compassionate to them is that these unhelpful, unkind things, set out of pride, set out of arrogance, set out of ignorance, will come back and be roadblocks in our own journey in the future. Right, so we've got to really be careful to always examine our own errors and to rid ourselves of them. So it's important to keep our eyes on the road, follow the map, Pay attention to the conditions of our own vehicle first. Work on our own pride, our own tolerance, 
our own confusion and miserliness, and using this beautiful map called the Dharma to do that. And as we cultivate wisdom, concentration, love, using the mile markers, not just in this book, but all of the books that have been taught by the Buddha, that are written in our world and translated, they're all beautiful roadmaps that really point out the mile markers, the points of interest, and we will reach our final goal by practicing and following the directions clearly and sincerely, wherever we are. I mean, this is a long journey. So I want to read the, the verse one more time and to really see that being Dharma friends together, or wherever we are, that we are taking that journey and that we have found the map. And it's just up for us to decide whether we want to take the trip or not. But we're in this room right now, so chances are And then I want to sh uh, share an example of a story, because when Venerable wrote this book, she asked a lot of her friends and Dharma students to, to share something in their lives that had to do with one of the verses. So even though the names have been changed in here, after every one of the verses, there's a commentary by Venerable, and then there's a true story of how someone has used that verse to work with their minds. So I wanted to share that one with you, which is quite lovely. Okay, so once again... If you don't examine your own errors, you may look like a practitioner but not act as one. Therefore, always examining your errors, rid yourself of them. This is the practice of exercise. Sounds simple. That is not. Okay, so here's, this is the story of Philip. And then I'll see if you get some, if anybody has any questions or any insights or any need for clarity before we finish it. Okay, his story says, freedom from the victim mentality. So this is using the verse, how he brought it into his practice. Due to some causes and conditions that occurred when I was little, I played myself in the role of a victim from very early on. I carried this identity of being a victim like a banner, never considering that it was a concept in my mind. Thinking it was a reality, I viewed every experience I encountered through the eyes of a victim and blamed whatever suffering I experienced in life on others. One summer, I spoke with my spiritual mentor about this, and she helped me to realize that my victim identity was the concept in my mind, created after a situation that had happened early in my life. She helped me to recognize that this identity lacked any basis in reality and was, in fact, one of the major causes of my misery and my inability to engage my life in the moment. So he had taken his little vehicle, probably had a little bit of a, could have had a major accident, you know, but then he went off and just kind of drove away with the fender dented and the steering a little bit off and started going off on some road that wasn't helpful. Inside, there was a constant inner dialogue going on that put me in a victim space, made me oversensitive and easily offended, and very self-centered. At the same time, because I was so attached to my reputation, I put up a facade. Okay, this is where we soup up the car. But I was capable, in control of any situation, decisive, when in fact none of that was true. Underneath, it was a great attachment to my reputation and a sense of never being treated fairly. This facade made me look like a practitioner, but many times I certainly didn't act like one. As I later discovered, this fabricated facade deceived only me. The people around me didn't like it and often didn't believe it was real. 
Okay, so this is taking, you know, going down a, a very confused road and people knowing, boy, this is not a good place to go. A couple of years later, I became very ill and weak. The slow process of recovery showed me how much I abandoned and disengaged myself from my life. I lived so much in the past. This way of living fosters the feeling of being an innocent victim of life. Being defensive, even if someone asks me a simple question, and continuously projecting the causes of my unhappiness on others. I also do future traveling, which causes a lot of anxiety, worry, and fear of things that haven't yet happened. Seeing these habits, I said to myself, if I don't examine my own errors, which are the misconceptions of who I think I am, and if I don't stop repeated habitual behaviors that neither serve me nor anyone else, I will never be free. All right, so he's starting to recognize that this little vehicle is not running well. The body and mind are hurting, suffering. And he's thinking, that maybe I should do something with this. Maybe I've got to go and get myself some attention. Find the, the best way to take care and to get out of this kind of thinking that's put me in such a miserable state. Now, as verse 31 instructs, I will examine my own errors in order to understand how I deceive myself. As verse 24 recommends, I have been seeing all forms of suffering are like a child's death in a dream. Holding these made-up and illusory appearances as real has left me exhausted. Therefore, I make a commitment. When I meet with difficult situations, I will practice seeing them as illusory. I will examine my own misconceptions about them and rid myself of them. To do this, I will investigate and acquaint myself with the nature of reality. So it sounds like he found himself a nice Dharma road map. This book. Very powerful story. I, mean, I don't know, you know how many of us have come in with our little vehicles, you know, dented and in head-on collisions early on in life. I've always thought that we're somewhat, you know, how would we put it, dented. <laughs> it can't go very fast and can't go where we want. Anyway, so that's the story that goes with that verse. That's my quirky analogy for trying to wrap my mind around, um, you know, how to pay attention to my own mind, how do I use my body and mind, and how I see the Dharma. Really is quite a beautiful travel guide. So, any comments, any <laughs> confusion, anything that I've set folks down a wrong roadblock, dead end? I had almost the exact same situation. I had an injury over Christmas time that really made me examine what was important in my life and, and how I acted and how selfish I could be. And what did you use for your um, maintenance kit? Um, that book. Really? Uh, yeah. And and um, meditation, the meditation book, and meditating and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Do you know Do you know which verse in particular caught your caught your mind? Well, I mean, I have read that it? verse already, and you reading it again, um, and the story that goes along with it is almost, I mean, exactly mm -hmm. the way things went for me. So. Great. Yeah, it works. It's a great tool. Great math. Yes, Cindy? Can you repeat your, you had about a four-line summary. Could you repeat that again? Oh, in, the, in the book here? In here? Not in the book. It was in your in notes book. about the roadmap. 
crazy with this, but it was really, it was really fun doing it. I was like, okay. Said, okay, you're on a journey. Let's see if we can benefit people with this thinking you have. Okay. The last, the last line of my, my teaching was actually, maybe at the end we're going to have a tailgate party, but I decided not to say that. <laughs> we're all Buddhas. We can have a tailgate party at the end. Okay. Okay, this is what I said. It's important to keep our eyes on the road. You know, we have, to, we have to take human circumstances, you know. We're so involved with transporting ourselves through our lives using these vehicles. The least we can do is use this form of attachment to really, you know, to use it to, to grow our, our virtue. Okay, so first to keep our eyes on the road. Follow the map and pay attention to the conditions of our own vehicle first. Which can be translated working on our own pride, our own intolerance, our own confusion, and using this amazing map to do that. And as we cultivate wisdom, concentration, love, using the mile markers, using the points of interests, the guideposts, we will reach our final destination, which is awakening. And then we'll did that hit people? Did that make sense? I also like to think who's traveling with me in the car. If I'm traveling in a car um, and seeing the vehicle as a also as a symbol for um, actually goes more in detail what kind of school I'm choosing to study, you know, mm-hmm. like in our case, and I just for out of simplicity and being stable and have a stable foundation, I choose to have this tradition, you know, the Gallup tradition, that's on cover as a founder, and his holiness, the Dalai Lama right now, so spiritual leader. Um, so I'm traveling with his holiness, the Dalai Lama, so that's where the analogy conflicts. You know, either we're all going to be on our own vehicles, sort of riding, doing a caravan, or we can be like Venerable Jumper, where we've got a very large nine-passenger <laughs> van, and we've got His Holiness and Venerable and Lama Sakapa in, and we've got our triple gem roadmap, and I'd say probably His Holiness is the navigator. <laughs> he might be the driver. GPS. Huh? GPS. GPS, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, continuing with your, the analogy, like, I also, I think, for me, it's important to remember, like, there's definitely going to be times when people will cut us off. You know? <laughs> and so, like, you know, like, I mean, whether it's, like, they were really concerned with playing us or they get us upset, or, I mean, you know, whether their actions are somehow are affecting us. You know, how am I going to do that with a calm mind, not flying into road rage and flipping them off? And what to do, you know? Yeah. How, stay, how can I stay focused on my on the road, on the journey, with a calm mind, not overreacting? Because clearly, you know, it's people's uh, actions do affect us, but yeah. my thing is how am I going to react to that? How am yeah. I use my mind and keep my hands on the wheel? Yeah. That's really keeping your vehicle <laughs> under control. Because there are good people. It's going to be people cutting us off. And the, the curves in the road, the bumps, the avalanches, the 
sh the winds, the crosswinds. It's going to be all sorts of stuff happening. But we really do get some good uh, tools to work with what comes up. And farther along the road, those things actually get to be something to look for. I mean, they say bodhisattvas go looking for, I always want to say bodhisattvas go looking for trouble. And because their minds are so transformed and they've been following the directions and the map so clearly that it's very, very hard for them to come up in contact with enemies because they simply don't perceive living beings as anything but lovable. You know, that's the beauty about this trip, is that after a while, the, the mind itself changes and that the journey becomes more and more exquisite, more and more profound. There are no obstacles, only opportunities to just cherish and benefit other beings. You know? and, this, and this road is taken from, from the get-go, mile marker one, all the way to the three million countless great eons till you become a Buddha. We're all traveling on the same road, but how we see it, what kind of vehicle we have, how long it's going to take, is very, very uniquely individual. We simply don't know, but we're on the right road. That's a good thing. So this verse, to me, speaks a lot about um, not being worried about our, um, the appearance of our practice so much as the sincerity of wanting to transform our own minds, and that you know, that's the only mind we can steer, and does each of us transforming our own mind is, makes a big difference in the world, like you said, in the motivation. Yeah, yeah. Because after a while, steering our own minds and working on our minds, the external appearance on how the world is benefited by our efforts really makes a difference. If you're not practicing and you're putting on an appearance like you know what you're doing, it won't. It can't hold up to the intensity of other beings yearning to have company on this road. It just won't hold. But if it's coming from a place of being able to steer our minds and cultivate our good qualities, people will want to take the journey and they're going to feel that they're being supported. We're going to be steady as she goes. And that's really important. Yeah, for sure. Take a little minute here to sort of digest it, and then we'll do the dedication on page 30. Any little point that caught your eye, any little piece that said, useful, or, yeah, I'll think about that.
Due to this merit may we soon attain the awakened state of Guru Buddha, that we may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their suffering. May the precious Bodhi mind not yet born arise and grow, May that born have no decline, but increase forever.